Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 19. We're also going to briefly be in Revelation chapter 21. Mark that passage of Scripture, please, and turn back to Ephesians chapter 5. Revelation 19 and then 21 and then back to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. I love the church. The church is an assembly of called out ones. Called out ones who have been saved and sanctified. I love the church because as an assembly of believers, we have been called to be. We've been called to be salt. We've been called to be light. We've been called to be testimonies in this world. I love the church because it's pictured as the body of Christ, the hands and feet and and voice of Jesus Christ to share the good news of the gospel. And I love the church because it's the bride of Christ. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been in Ephesians chapter 5, and I just want to remind you of a few verses. Look with me, please. Beginning with verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, and here it is. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, then he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Jump down to verse 32. This mystery is profound. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. As the bride of Christ, the church is the demonstration of love and commitment as we recognize God's love for us as he sent his son to be our savior. As the bride of Christ, it's that intimate relationship that we have with our savior. John MacArthur, in his book on Ephesians, has written this. The sacred relationship between Christian husbands and wives is is extricably related to the sacred relationship between Christ and the church. It's a wonderful relationship, isn't it? The bride of Christ, where Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. As the bride of Christ, there is a covenantal, committed relationship that is to be lived out in faithful love. It's a growing, blooming, dynamic relationship. It's a union that grows more wonderful and deepens as love and commitment to each other is lived out throughout life. That's the wonder of our relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. There are two other references to the the bride of Christ And they are both found in the book of Revelation. So turn over to Revelation chapter 19, will you please? Revelation chapter 19 and then chapter 21. Now, in order for us to understand the timing of this relationship, I I need to share a bit with you about future events. And here's a little diagram that I use many times to, to help us understand what God has planned. We are living in the church age. It's the age of grace. For by grace have you been saved through faith, not of yourselves, gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. It's also called the church age, where God is working out his plan and program through locals, assemblies, believers like ours, through his body, the universal the next event on God's calendar is the rapture of the church. 1 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 4. And in that passage of Scripture, we're reminded that the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, voice the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive will be caught up together to meet our Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with our Lord. Now, that will set in place a seven-year timetable. And during that seven years, there are two events that are going to take place in heaven with the raptured believers. The first is the Bema judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, where all of our works will be tried by fire, and we are going to have to give an account. The second event that's going to take place is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that is identified for us here in Revelation chapter 19. Look at the text, please. Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and pure. Verse 9. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. What a wonderful event. Bride of Christ, married together with our wonderful Lord and Savior. Now, during that seven-year time frame, while those two events are taking place in heaven, down here on earth, there will be a tribulation period. Time of judgment. And you read about the seals and the trumpets and the bowls that are going to wreak judgment upon this earth. And the event that is going to stop that judgment is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, I want very quickly to remind you that that event is indeed the second coming, and that is distinct from the rapture. In the rapture, Jesus Christ does not come to earth because we meet the Lord in the air. That is not the second coming. The second coming is when he comes to earth and he sets up his kingdom to rule and to reign for a thousand years. And that is after the tribulation period. Immediately upon his coming, there will be a judgment of nations. Then we will enter the millennial kingdom, which is a thousand years of the righteous reign of Jesus Christ. Satan will be bound during that time. And after a thousand years, he will be released, there will be a great war, he will be cast into the lake of fire, and there will be what is called the great white throne judgment, where all unbelievers will have to stand before God, and the scripture says that books are open, and those that are not written in the Lamb's book of life are cast into the lake of fire. It'll be a sad time. There will be some believers there because there will be believers that will come out of the millennial kingdom. But all people 
through all, all ages will be judged. The lake of fire is identified, and then we get to enter eternity with a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And it is that new Jerusalem that is also identified as the bride of Christ. Are you in Revelation chapter 21? Revelation chapter 21, please. Look with me at this text, starting with verse 6. Am I in the right passage? No, I'm not. Verse 1, I'm sorry. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Jump down with me, please, and look with me, beginning with verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. That new heaven, that new earth, that new Jerusalem will be the reunion of all of God's people as his bride. I love the church because it is indeed the bride of Christ. We will meet at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it is that new Jerusalem that is going to be identified as the place where the groom and the bride spend eternity together. Oh, I love the church. Because the church indeed is the bride of Christ. You know, over the years I've had the privilege of doing uh, a number of wedding ceremonies. Each is unique, each is different, each has its own challenges. And there are many aspects of that wedding ceremony that are just wonderful things. I, I love the flower girls. They sometimes steal the show. I love the ring bearers dressed up in their finest duds coming down the, the middle But there are two items in the wedding ceremony that pique my interest the most. The first is when the bride enters. All of the people stand, and all their attention is focused on the one who is coming down the aisle dressed in all of her radiant beauty. The second is at the end of the ceremony. Now there's a lot that goes on in between there are promises, there are covenants, there's, there's a lot of times lighting of candles, pouring of salt, just, just a lot of things that happen. But at the end of the ceremony, after 
I have said you may kiss your bride. I usually stand to the side and I say, it is my privilege to introduce for the very first time Mr. and Mrs. And I say their names. Because at that point, the the knot has been tied. They have made their commitments to each other. The wonder of the bride has come down as husband and wife have now united in, in a covenantal relationship. And I love to look at the wedding pictures that identify the happy couple on this wonderful day in their lives. Join me this this morning, will you please, as we look at a few pictures. I'd like to introduce to you Pastor and Mrs. John Lepard. I'd like to introduce to you Mike and Lisa Golden. I'd like to introduce to you Gary and Jerry and Lori Funk. I'd like to introduce to you Al and Elsie Peterson. Let me introduce to you Randy and Judy Carey. Let me introduce to you, please, John and, and Katie Fund. Let me introduce to you, please, Gary and Judy Huffman. I'd like to introduce to you Brian and Mary Steamsma. I want to introduce you, please, Eric and Jess Roll Carter. Let me introduce you, please, Don and Judy Holzma. Let me introduce you, Larry and Joy Allen. Let me introduce you, please, Dave and Betty Spear. And let me introduce you, please, Pastor Tom and Connie Townsend. I remember that day, May 20th, 1973, a Sunday afternoon when God allowed me the privilege of becoming one with my wife, Connie. What a day that was. This morning, very quickly, I want us to think through the wonderful elements that we have because we are the bride of Christ. Now, this is just a little bit different message. This is a topical message. We've looked at texts that remind us of how God uses us as the bride of Christ. Christ loved the church, and then the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then the the wonderful place that we are going to live forever, the new Jerusalem. But let me just identify five wonders of being the bride of Christ. The first wonder is this. We are bought by the Son of God. Now we could go to many texts that would remind us that we are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from our vain conversation and we could remind ourselves that it was the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot and that certainly is is true as the purchase price was made we we live in a culture in which many times 
the bride's family is, is responsible for providing the funds for the, for the wedding. Pray for Pastor John, will you please? He has five to go. We only had two. Some time ago, my son-in-law, who's been married to my daughter, Jill, for, it'll be 15 years coming this, this August, said to me, Tom, I want to thank you so much for paying for our wedding. But I want to remind you of all the money I have saved you over the past 15 years. <laughs> In this culture, there were a couple of things that remind us that a purchase price was paid. And I think it's important for us to, to recognize what those things were. There was a dowry. And a dowry was something that was transferred, transfer of parental property to a daughter. And it was given to her as part of her estate rather than at her parents' death. It, it established a type of conjugal fun that may have provided a bit of financial security. Financial security for the newlyweds, certainly, as perhaps it was household items or something to help them set up their new home. But it was also designed as financial security if for some reason the wife became widowed or separated from her husband and was designed to, to protect her. There was also something called the, the bride price. And that was something that the groom gave to the bride's parents. And it was something that was given to the family, and it was intended to demonstrate his ability to, to care for his new wife. I am so thankful that God, through his son, purchased us and has given to us that wonderful relationship. I'll remind you that in Genesis chapter 24, Abraham sent his, son, his servant to find a bride for his son. He went and traveled to their home line and homeland, and there was Rebecca. And as he was there, he presented to Rebecca's family jewelry and gold and silver and costly ornaments. And that was indeed the bride price. I remind you that Jacob worked for Laban seven years so that he could have Rachel as his, his bride. And you remember that Laban substituted the older daughter, Leah, and then Jacob had to work another set. That was part of the bride price. Scripture tells us that the price that God paid for us 
was the precious blood of his son. Think about that, will you please? In order for us to be his bride, Jesus Christ went to the cross and shed his precious blood in payment for our sins. That ought to remind us of how much God loved us through his son. But not only was the bride bought by the Son of God, the bride is also respected by the Son of God. Now, the word respect means to think highly of, to, to value, to, to honor. Now, I want to very quickly remind you that this is not because of who you and I are. This is not based on the wonder of, of the bride. When I got married, I married up big time. And I am honored to have Connie as my wife. And that's not because of who I am. That's because of who she is. I want you to know that God respects you and me. He honors us. He values us. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Because of his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ bought us, died for us. I want you to know that in his love, there is a steadfast, everlasting love. And the respect that he has for the bride is based upon who he is and what he has done through his son. You know, the scripture tells us how much he values us by identifying of what he has done for us. He set us apart for himself. He protects us. He gifts us. He builds us up. And he has given you and me the awesome assignment to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ into all the world. I love the church. Because Jesus Christ respects his bride. I love the church because Jesus Christ identifies us as his own. You know, throughout history, God's people have been identified in a, in a number of different ways. In Genesis chapter 14, Abraham's descendants were, were identified as Hebrews. And it was based partly, at least, on the language that they spoke at the time. In Genesis chapter 32, Jacob's name was, was changed to Israel. And God then began to identify his people as descendants of Israel, Israelites. We move from the united kingdom that was ruled under Saul, David, and Solomon into a divided kingdom. You'll recall that Solomon dies. There is a struggle between Rehoboam and Jeroboam, who was exiled in Egypt at the time. The kingdom is split. Ten northern tribes known as Israel, two southern tribes known as Judah, 
In 71 BC, after 210 years, Assyria comes in and defeats the northern tribes, Israel, takes them into captivity, and they are never heard of again. In 606 BC, after 326 years as a kingdom, Babylon comes in and captures the southern kingdom, Judah. Now there are three returns that are recorded for us in Scripture. And so we continue to, to hear of Judah. And it was at that time that God's people were identified as the Jews. Those who were part of Judah, the southern kingdom. You move to the New Testament, and God's followers were described as his disciples. Those who followed him and, and grew with him and, and recognized him as, as their master. In Acts chapter 9, Saul is persecuting the followers of, of Christ, and, and he describes them as belonging to the way. And in Acts chapter 11, the scripture tells us that it was in Antioch where the believers were first identified as Christians. And so you find throughout all of history the identity of God's people is, is changing from those who spoke a language to those who were descendants of Jacob Israel to those who were part of the southern kingdom Judah, disciples people of the way, and now Christians, ones of Christ. But my favorite identity that is used throughout history is when God calls his people my people. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people... Who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. Then will I hear for, from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. My people. In the New Testament in 1 Peter chapter 2, we're told that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And then Peter says, you were once not a people, but now are you God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. My people. I am so thankful that we can be identified as the bride of Christ, as the people of God. A wonderful, intimate relationship. I'm so thankful that God desires fellowship with his people. Fellowship, kononia, an intimate relationship, living in communion, sharing and caring for one another. Kononia is never used to describe a relationship that God has with anyone until the Holy Spirit was given an axe. And it then now becomes that intimate relationship as God gave us his spirit to indwell us, to guide us into truth, to lead us, to teach us, to convict us, 
to comfort us, to encourage us. Paul wrote to the believers at Corinth, an ornery bunch, and he said this, God is faithful in calling you into the fellowship of his son. Paul talks about the relief of the saints and the fellowship within the church. God wants to have fellowship with us. But the scripture very clearly says, what fellowship does light have with darkness? What fellowship is there with righteousness and unrighteousness? What fellowship exists with those who do not know Christ as personal Savior and those who do know Christ? That intimacy just isn't there. So we are encouraged to develop our konania, our fellowship, our relationship with God. John chapter 1 says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have kononia, fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But here it is, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have kononia, intimate relationship, fellowship, God with the Father. Aren't you thankful for that today? You see, our fellowship is not necessarily dependent upon how we walk. Our fellowship is dependent upon where we walk. And if we walk in the light, because he is the light, we have konania, fellowship, one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And then I'm thankful for verse 9 of chapter 1, aren't you? First John. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That brings our konania back where it should be. You see, as his bride, he desires to have fellowship with us. And as his bride, we will spend eternity together. I often pray for those who have lost their spouses. I have trouble even imagining what that looks like, how that is lived out. And if you've lost your spouse, I want you to know that I'm praying for you in that area. Because I cannot imagine living life without my Connie. We can't remember when we were not together. We started our relationship back in the seventh grade. And it blossomed throughout high school. And before she graduated from high school, her senior year of 1971, I asked her to marry me and gave, gave her a ring. So she went to her graduation with an engagement ring on her finger. Now, it took us two years to complete that process because we were not married until May of 1973. And that was a brutally long time. I would not recommend that for anybody. 
But I was in Iowa and Connie was in Ohio and we were 702 miles apart. But on that Sunday afternoon, we were united in marriage. Now I need to tell you that on that Sunday afternoon, Connie was not sure if I was going to show up. Her brother was serving as an usher. And the mothers were down front and seated. You know the drill in a wedding ceremony. And I wasn't there yet. And her brother came down and said, Connie, Tom's not going to show. Well, I did show. Because there was no place for us to wait. And so I figured it started 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock. See, I got all the details except the right time. 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I didn't need to be there before 3 o'clock, right? I have cha since changed my tune. I, I showed up with enough time to have flower pinned on, one picture taken, and walk in. But I can't imagine living life without my Connie. And the truth is, as the bride of Christ, we will get to spend eternity with our God. I read for you these verses earlier, Revelation 21. Will you read along with me? Let me read them out loud, please. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. He showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Its radiance, like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. I love the church. And I love the church because it is the bride of Christ. It pictures that intimate relationship that you and I have with Jesus. Now here's the question I want to leave with you this morning. How's your intimate relationship with Jesus? How you doing? He has called you to represent him as his bride. And that requires our covenantial love given to him in every area of our life. That requires our faithfulness lived out to honor and glorify him. And that requires our total love as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. When I counsel young couples, whether it's if they're anticipating marriage or have been married and are struggling in their relationship, I many times will say this, you don't spell successful marriages L-O-V-E. You spell successful marriages W-O-R-K. 
Because if there's no W-O-R-K, there will be no L-O-V-E. You got to work at it. And God has done everything to L-O-V-E us as he sent his son to die on the cross, and that was W-O-R-K. And he continues to work in our lives, to challenge us and change us and conform us to the character of his son, Jesus Christ, as Christ-like disciples. The question is, how are we doing? How are we working on our intimate relationship with Jesus as his bride?